0: How many gay historical figures do you know? Probably not that many. Most of them live their lives in secrecy and history books tend to ignore any rainbow flags that someone might present. But they existed. They were people
1: just like us, writers and innovators and artists and leaders, and they don't deserve to hide any longer. We're your hosts, Mary Rogers
0: and Eile Yamamoto, and join us as we uncover the ghosts in the closet. Historians say they were very close friends. Gal pals.
1: Callies. Best friends. Independent. Companions. Rebellious.
0: Roommates. Um, weren't they just queer? You're listening to Ghosts in the Closet with Mary Rogers and Eile Yamamoto.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Mary. And I'm Eile And welcome back to Ghosts in the Closet. We're so happy to be back for another wonderful season, and we're kicking it off with an extra special episode for a belated Black History Month celebration. Today, we're taking it back to the 60s and beyond to celebrate the life and legacy of the incredible Bayard Rustin, a gay man and leading activist in the movements for civil rights, gay rights, and socialism, just to name a few. Of course, before we get into that, let's hop into some recent queer news.
0: A new Kentucky bill would ban drag shows within 1,000 feet of schools, parks, and homes. The legislation seeks to keep drag shows away from, quote, locations that cater to minors. A proponent of the bill, Kentucky State Senator Lindsey Tishner said that, quote, they're adult-oriented performances. There's no reason children need to be exposed to that. Some queer activists might say this is actually a good thing, since being 1,000 feet away from schools actually makes drag performers less likely to be victims of mass shootings. Gay rights!
1: Oh my god. The Church of England announced that they would look into inclusive gender-neutral terms when referring to God in their prayers. A church spokesperson said, quote, Christians have recognized since ancient times that God is neither male nor female. This is great news, but our only apologies are to Lady Gaga. Looks like it's <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it's capital T-H-E-M now. Eileen <laughs> wrote that. That's so
0: funny. I'm sorry. I, I was like, who's the only like, person that's going to be hurt by this? Just kidding. Be, I feel like she would have a really good time with this news. Bethany Hamilton, professional surfer of Soul Surfer fame, announced that she would boycott the upcoming World Surf League events due to its new policies aimed towards the inclusion of transgender women in women's events. The policies revolve around hormone and testosterone counts. In response, Hamilton said, quote, is a hormone level an honest and accurate depiction that someone indeed is a male or female is it as simple as this to bethany we say you are so close girl think just a little harder
1: When Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech, he was deservedly cemented in history as an icon and hero, and his name became a household one. What many people don't know, however, is that there's another vital name involved with the March on Washington, a gay man by the name of Bayard Rustin. Rustin had an incredible life, so without further ado, let's get started. Byard Rustin was born on March 17th, 1912 in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Because his mother was so young, he grew up thinking that his grandparents were his real parents and that his mother was his sister. Not
0: to like air out his business or anything. <laughs> That'd be a crazy thing to find out like. Yeah, it's on. kind of like there's an orange is the new black plot line <laughs> where that happens.
1: Growing up, Rustin was very influenced by the religious and political beliefs of his grandmother. Julia was a Quaker, a strong pacifist and a prominent member of the NAACP or the National Association for the advancement of colored people. As such, distinguished NAACP leaders, such as W.E.B. Du Bois and writer James Weldon often stayed at their large home. Rustin spent his youth being an accomplished writer, singer, and actor. Even as a young man, Rustin campaigned against Jim Crow laws in his hometown, the beginning of a long, incredible career in activism.
0: After high school, Rustin attended a few schools, but eventually settled on the City College of New York in Harlem, where he became involved in the campaign to free the Scottsboro Boys, who were falsely accused of sexually assaulting a white woman in 1931. Rustin was radicalized by the case, which was a clear representation of America's horrific racism and how deeply embedded it was into the fabric of the country's every institution. In 1936, Rustin briefly joined the American Communist Party due to their forward-thinking views on civil rights, but left a few years later due to the influence of Philip Randolph, a prominent socialist, Union leader and civil rights activist, whom Rustin highly respected. Together, the two planned a potential march on Washington in the summer of 1941, over 20 years before the real historic event. But the march was called off after President FDR issued an executive order banning discrimination in government hiring. Rustin opposed this decision.
1: Wow. So, so it was he like he had motives like way, way. Yeah.
0: And he that was like I guess a win for them because they said we won't do the march if you pass this executive order, and he did. But I I understand why Rustin would still want to go through Yeah, because it's not like any problem. Well, problems were solved, but like the greater problem was still. So side note, (laughs) I didn't know where to put this, so I added this right in the middle. Rustin was also an accomplished vocalist and did a brief stint on Broadway. No
1: way. <laughs> what? That's like so cool. Like the Broadway
0: show closed in like two weeks, but he was on it. Wow. Apparently he was really, really good. Good for him. I know. Uh, but moving on. So Rustin spent the next few years with the FOR, the Fellowship of Reconciliation, which was a pacifist civil rights organization. As an organizer and touring lecturer, it was here where he strongly solidified his own views in support of pacifism, nonviolent activism, race relations, war, and criminal justice, among other pressing political issues of the time. So with With other members of the FOR, Rustin also founded CORE, or the Congress on Racial Equality, a group focused on obtaining civil rights through nonviolent activism and peaceful protest. He was like collecting acronyms. Yeah, for (laughs) (laughs) real. So overall, this was a very formative, hectic time for Rustin. This is kind of crazy. He traveled to India to learn about the teachings of Mahatma Gandhi, went to Africa to participate in West African independence movements, and even went to California to help protect the property rights of Japanese Americans who were forced into internment camps. Oh, wow. So he was fighting for people like all over. Yeah, intersectionality. Intersectionality. We're actually going to get to that later. You're amazing. So he was arrested several times for violating segregation laws on public transportation. And it was also around this time when he was arrested and charged for violating the Selective Service Act or for refusing to join the U.S. Army in the draft. For this, he spent three years in prison, and even during his sentence, he fought against segregation within the prison. Wow.
1: Which is like, insane that's, to me. That's just like, all safety is put aside. To, like, that's crazy. He just like put himself in the most unsafe situation Yeah, to,
0: and then, for human rights. Uh, always for human rights, exactly. So, after his release from prison, Rustin and CORE worked on the journey of reconciliation, which was an early version of the Freedom Rides, where activists traveled on public buses through the Deep South to challenge the non-enforcement of U.S. Supreme Court decisions that DC segregated public transportation. If you know anything about the Freedom Ride, you know that those involved were arrested several times. They were subject to physical and verbal abuse. It was was a really um, violent reaction to that protest. And later, here's where it gets uh, juicy. Just kidding. It was juicy the whole time. Um, (laughs) Rustin was sent to Montgomery to help organize the Montgomery bus boycotts, where he met and became a close advisor to Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. So here's a name that everyone's going to know. Following the success of this campaign, Rustin began organizing his dream from over 20 years earlier, the March on Washington. So as one could expect, planning the logistics for this event was an enormous, complicated responsibility. He dealt with a lot of expected issues like safety concerns, coordinating uh, with several civil rights organizations, fighting opposition from racists and the U.S. government and other activists alike, but also major logistical barriers that I don't think we would really think of, like the number of toilets or first aid stations. Mm. And he was also fending off vicious personal attacks from every side, which we'll get a little bit more into later. When I think of like the March on Washington, it's this huge event, right? You know, you can see like the picture in your mind it's like who would have thought like someone had to decide how many bathrooms there were gonna be (laughs)
1: yeah right there's so many more logistics that go into it it's not like everybody just like showed up like
0: (laughs) (laughs) like i've never thought about the march on washington from like an event planning standpoint so it's kind of crazy yeah uh, to think about wow So as we know, today, the march was a massive success. It attracted over 200,000 people and resulted in Martin Luther King Jr.'s historic I Have a Dream speech. It was a testament to the combined effort of thousands of people and the organizational prowess, tenacity, and unyielding determination of Bayard Rustin and his team. So in the 80s, later in his life, Rustin shifted his focus to the gay rights movement, which he felt was the new civil rights frontier. So let's get into it.
1: Okay, so it's time to get to the gay stuff. (laughs) Um, While Rustin's close friends and co-workers knew he was a gay man, he was not publicly open about it. This changed in 1953 when he was arrested for sodomy after being caught in the back of a car with two men. He was arrested and jailed for two months and was also forced to register as a sex offender. That's... Horrible. That's so sad. Yeah, that's really sad. Um, yeah, so this incident forced his sexuality into the public eye and compromised his role as a civil rights leader. Being publicly outed gave the opposition ammunition for vicious, hateful attacks and increased tensions between other civil rights leaders.
0: I feel like, in the people we've covered, obviously being gay and like so- sodomy was a crime in a lot of places, um, but there is. Like, I can guarantee that gay people, um, black gay people, were being arrested, jailed, and charged far more than white gay people. Even in our podcast, we covered um, Ma Rainey, who was also arrested for sodomy or, you know, for having, like, a party um, where she was having sex with women. And now Rustin's, you know, getting arrested in what is possibly an incredibly just humiliating and horrible position to be caught in. I can't imagine how that would feel in that moment. Yeah, and it's so sad that... Like essentially in this situation, like
1: of course he's like fighting for civil rights. It's like he has to like choose which part of his identity to fight yeah, for.
0: it is really horrible, and we're going to get actually a lot, a lot more into it as well. Yeah.
1: The FOR called for his resignation, and the worst attack came from another black civil rights leader, Representative Adam Clayton Powell Jr., who opposed some of Rustin and MLK's policies. Powell told MLK that if he didn't stop working with Rustin, he would tell the press that Rustin and MLK were lovers. Unfortunately, the threat worked. MLK was forced to put distance between himself and Rustin, and Rustin resigned from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Similar slanderous rumors came from J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI,
0: at the time this I think is one of the saddest parts of it all that this man who had spent how much of his life fighting for civil rights and you know doing all of this was still had to be like put aside and and thrown aside and coming from his own group his own like people who were fighting for the same things as him it's really sad yeah it's so awful
1: like I can't you can't blame MLK for I don't even know, like... Yeah.
0: There's no, like, winning here. Yeah. It's like you were talking about earlier, like, having to choose the identity. And I, but I think Rustin understood that. Yeah. Um, with his, you know, resignation and everything. And also, J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI, just, like... I mean, we're not—are we surprised that the FBI was trying to Mm -hmm. shut down the civil rights movement? No. No. It just—oh, we can't—it's just horrible. There's—that's Yeah. all you can really say about it right now.
1: Yeah. Despite how cruel and backwards the situation was, Rustin put the movement over his own personal justice. Freedom House scholar and former colleague of Rustin, Ark Puddington, said that Rustin was willing to wait to focus on gay rights because he knew it would undermine his credibility as a civil rights leader. About the situation with MLK, Rustin said, My being gay was not a problem for Dr. King, but a problem for the movement. So
0: having to put an entire part of your identity just like on the back burner? Yeah. To focus on the betterment of the people you're fighting for, it's like really remarkable. I it's think, like who? Such a selfless act. It's so selfless. It's incredible. It's. And it's again. This is just why another one of the reasons why it's like it's crazy that his name isn't more known. No. Yeah. Like before, we were like
1: looking into different people to cover. I'd never heard of this guy. Yeah. At all. He was. Exactly. He was MLK's
0: right hand man. Right hand man. Like, are you kidding me? Exactly. And it it sucks that their relationship as well had to be. Tainted by, you know, like really vicious personal attacks that again had yeah. nothing to do with him being queer, obviously, informed his life experiences, but it had nothing to do with the civil rights movement. No.
1: Luckily, despite these setbacks, Rustin was still able to work as leading organizer of the March on Washington, though he had to step back from a more public role. Still, he was subject to constant attacks in an attempt to undermine Rustin and the civil rights movement itself. Though he now opposed the Communist Party, he was often attacked as a communist,
0: draft dodger, and homosexual. Still, he persisted. I feel like communist, draft dodger, homosexual is very much like slay on my dating profile (laughs) like this is what people look for these days this would make him a very popular um person put that on (laughs) my you're onto something
1: So, in his later life, when he became confident that his sexuality would not derail the civil rights movement, Rustin was able to be more open about his sexuality. He focused on gay activism when he met and fell in love with photographer and artist Walter Neagle. Rustin was older than him by nearly 40 years, and as he got older, he became concerned about the lack of rights for gay couples. In an attempt to safeguard their relationship, Rustin legally adopted Neagle, which was the only way to ensure that Neagle would be legally protected in the case of Rustin's death.
0: Where have we seen that before? Hmm. hmm. Nobuko Yoshia, who we covered in the last episode, did the exact same thing with her girly wifey. Yeah. Actually. I love um, the ways in which queer people, historical queer people would like get around. Like find loopholes. Find loopholes. It was like um Alan O'Hart too. Yeah found a loophole yeah oh yeah 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 with the with the doctor that it was oh very right, right. alan Al hart also found um a kind of funny loophole where it was like he said like i'm i'm queer so i shouldn't pass my jeans on so you have to take my ovaries out <gasps> that's or something. what it was yeah and so I, I love seeing um crafty queer people yeah absolutely although yes. i mean crafty is kind of a more a positive way of looking at it they had no choice yeah um but i'm glad that they had something that they could do
1: mm-hmm.
0: of rustin neagle said The day that I met Bayard,
1: I was actually on my way to Times Square. We were on the same corner waiting for the light to change. He had a wonderful shock of white hair. I guess he was of my parents' generation, but we looked at each other and lightning struck. He was my life partner for 10 years wow what a what a story
0: what would you give to meet the love of your life on a corner into new like new york times right. square waiting for a crossing like what when and then you look stress. at each other
1: and, and like you just know i feel like i feel like the gays have like worked backwards in that way like <laughs> experiences making eye contact with another gay person and, then you never, and never seeing them again yes. and then telling your friends that you made eye contact with a hot gay person <laughs> that you're never gonna
0: see again. yeah if it was today the day i met Bayard was actually when we were on you know hinge and <laughs> lightning struck so i I think that this is a beautiful story. Also, I just want to say like, that's such a nice, it's so romantic. It's so sweet. It brings me a lot of joy that after a life of self-sacrificing and what must have been a lot of horrible, humiliating, just really hard, stressful things that he had 10 years of happiness yeah with walter that is wonderful he like finally got his he got what he deserved somewhat happy ending yeah he got his happy ending and he was able the fact that he was able to like start becoming an activist for gay rights means that he was like didn't feel stuck or having to choose anymore yeah which i think is really lovely well he, he lived up to what he said like he said you know i'm gonna put the fight for gay rights on
1: the back burner and focus on this mm-hmm. and the time will come and he waited and it did and it did so the adoption process was no easy task either. Neagle's mother had to legally disown him and a social worker even had to come to their home to determine it was a fit home. Could you wow. imagine that? That's I so I feel like it's a sitcom scene. <laughs> right? Are you like, kidding me? Like there's these
0: two, this gay couple and some like lady, small lady in glasses, has to be like,
1: do you love your father? <laughs> they're like sitting on the couch. They're like, do you want some cheese? <laughs> <laughs> but clearly it worked. Yeah. It's also interesting that like Nigel's mother agreed to disown him? like
0: Yeah, she must have been supportive.
1: Yeah, so Neagle and Rustin were together until Rustin's death in 1987. Neagle is now the executive director of the Bayard Rustin Fund, honoring Rustin's life, legacy, and memory. In 2013, Rustin was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In 2020, he was pardoned for his 1953 conviction.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that he was pardoned for the conviction as well and that he didn't, like, he wasn't, us. he's not, like, forever a sex offender, yeah. I guess. Because, um, I mean, we know, and we've talked about this a lot, of, like, the way that they, like, brought down gay people was, was painting them and making them to be, like, deviants and monsters. Yeah. So it makes me very happy that that was overturned. But I do wonder how many... It would be cool if they could overturn them all. Right? How many like, people's like dead grandfathers out there, like, with just registered as a sex offender because he had sex with a man and was accidentally caught. And these are
1: these people's legacies. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I absolutely agree. If it's like, obviously, it's not hard for the president to like, they can pardon yeah. whoever they want. Like,
0: I wish they could <laughs> do like a mass pardoning of of people. I know it's hard to like dig up records and what happened, but of of people who were you know gay people who were caught having consensual sex. So I'm glad that it was um, overturned. And also the Presidential Medal of Freedom awarded by if it was t- 2013, that would have been President Obama. Which I think is kind of an extra cherry on top because Rustin didn't get to see the first black president. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But, you know, the the idea that the first black president was the one who awarded him that is really um, touching. And I think a testament to the work that Rustin did in his life.
1: Absolutely. Rustin once said, One has to fight for justice for all. If I do not fight bigotry wherever it is, bigotry is thereby strengthened. And to the degree that it is strengthened, it will thereby have the power to turn on me. Wow. It's like a superhero line. It so is. Wow. (laughs) And like, meant it when he
0: said, wherever, like he wasted no time. And it wasn't just like he fought for um, black people, he fought for gay people, he fought for Japanese people. There was no stopping. He wanted to help people. Yeah. That's, it's wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. And again, he kind of talks like a superhero.
1: (laughs) Rustin spent his entire life fighting for justice, and the sacrifices he made are remarkable and moving. His strength and conviction are almost unbelievable.
0: Right, truly. like he seems like a he seems like a fictional character that someone would write, and then every, all the critics would be like, "He did too much. Like that's not possible for a human, you know?" <laughs> yeah, he's no, just no, too totally. amazing. It's true. So Bayard Rustin is a bit of a special topic for us because he is one of the people that actually inspired this podcast. Um, his it's existence true. was first brought to my attention by Mary. So, and that was kind of the first thing. I remember you were like, look at this guy. Like he was MLK's right-hand man. We've never heard of him. He was gay. we were like, okay, what if we did a history podcast?
1: Yeah, this episode has been a long time coming. Yeah, I feel like
0: really we've, long time coming. We've,
1: yeah, for this episode, we really wanted to like take the time to cover everything that we wanted to, which is why it took us this long. But yeah, I forgot that he
0: inspired this podcast. Yeah, so right. it was you. It was Aww. you. Mary's the, the brain, the mastermind.
1: <laughs> yeah, I write all the scripts too. <laughs> just kidding Harry <laughs> is a writing
0: god but i Take your love, and I put it into the script, (laughs) um, okay. So looking back on his life and accomplishments, it's really shocking that his name is relatively publicly unknown, and part of that was due to his sexuality. Though Rustin was never on the forefront of the gay rights movement, his role in the civil rights movement presents us with a really unique perspective on intersectionality. So historically, the queer experience is often one of isolation, and you can definitely argue that it was especially isolating for Rustin given the sacrifices that he had to make to continue being a civil rights leader. kind of the crux of it all. Like, he made this massive sacrifice into uh, about his queer identity to move forward the civil rights movement at mm-hmm. the time, which is not a sacrifice that should be taken lightly, I think. I think I do and a lot of us do queer people these days especially queer white people uh take it for granted that they can have that intersectional identity yeah um and obviously like i mean even today like i've struggled with also having a japanese identity and a queer identity i'm sure lots of people have struggled with like balancing these identities and it's hard and if it's hard now it was impossible back then so i I think there's a lot of kind of a wow real respect he, he did the work that makes it more comfortable for us to, to live like this today queer people queer people of color and everything yeah. and right so during that time period and even today just living as a gay black person requires bravery in itself when your existence is that villainized you have no choice but to be brave yeah. you have to so to take that bravery multiply it by tenfold and decide that you will not let others experience the same injustices you have and that the future generation shouldn't have to spend their life clinging on to their bravery to work time throughout your whole life to organize tangible, direct action towards the bigoted institutions that your country was built on. And to do it all through vicious personal attacks from all sides, based on nothing but who you love, to keep going through all that because it is the right thing to do. That is what makes a hero, and Bayard Rustin was a hero. Guess who forgot trivia today? I, I I feel like this was mostly my fault. So, unfortunately, I'm so sorry. And this is our first episode without trivia. So we feel like we've let our our really faithful three million fans yeah. down. What All three do? million of them are literally crying. As we speak. Sobbing. Just in anticipation. I know Oprah was like, she just texted me oh saying she's so excited it, she for trivia really good we're lunching next week She's like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> we're lunching oprah loves to lunch oprah lunches anyway so no trivia but in my research within my research i came across a really funny thing that i just wanted to share with you like i don't know i thought this was hilarious Okay. Um, share away so uh, if we're talking about gay civil rights leaders a very contested and controversial figure is malcolm x Mm -hmm. So there has been a lot of debate over whether Malcolm X was gay. Really? Which I recently found out about, recently being when I wrote the script. Yeah, I didn't um, know that at all. And well, it, it turns out it is a contested thing. And so in in looking for an academic article, I came across this academic article by the Cambridge University Press. And I'm just going to read you the abstract um, before, because I obviously wasn't going to click on it because like I'm not paying for that. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to read you the abstract and you're going to tell me what you feel about it. Okay, yeah. Um, so in an article by the Cambridge University Press about Malcolm X's sexuality, this article engages the controversy over whether Malcolm Little, who would become Malcolm X, had same sexual encounters. A minute sifting of all evidence and claims augmented by new findings yields strong indication that Malcolm Little did take part in sex acts with male counterparts. If set in the context of the 1930s and 40s, these acts positioned him not as a homosexual lover, as has been asserted, but in the pattern of straight trade. What the f? <laughs> heter- heterosexual men open to sex with homosexuals. Are you? An understanding that in turn affords insights into the black revolutionaries mature masculinity what <laughs> they,
1: they literally- they are saying
0: it's not gay bro it's not gay okay it like they
1: just did like a 360 like like it started off so promising
0: i have i have bad news for every heterosexual man open to sex with homosexuals you are not
1: heterosexual (laughs) you are not heterosexual yeah the person who wrote this was a heterosexual man open to sex (laughs) (laughs) a straight (laughs) trade sorry a straight trade, does that mean you can go to, like, trade school for it? <laughs> no, I think trade is, like, a slang term. Oh. I'm so sorry. Now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I it's because of watching Drag Race. <laughs> But also, okay, in the context of the 1930s and 40s, does that just mean like they were less gay then? So it's like no homo? Like Like, clearly no. What are they talking about? Is that insane? And this isn't like New York Times, it's Cambridge University Press. Like, I don't know, I feel like I would I would expect more from like a It's giving Frederick Chopin like
0: Yeah, it's like they just use this language, I love you, let's have gay sex. So Malcolm, they're saying yeah, you, you guys are right. Malcolm, Malcolm X did have sex with men, but everyone, calm down. He was, he was just like being straight. silly. He was yeah, straight. He was
1: just bored. Like, like
0: the this weekend. seems like something that like a gay man married to a woman who's like in deep denial, but then got caught having sex with a man. His wife's like, I can't believe he did this to me. And he'd be like, No, like it's just straight trade. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just straight trade, bro. Are all the heterosexual men are open to sex with homosexuals? Anyway, so that's my little um, thing that I felt the need to to mention. Thank you for sharing this. Wait, how old is this article? Let's see, I've got it pulled up right here. It is from 14th November, 2016, by a man named Christopher Phelps. Uh, Christopher. Okay, Christopher. We have some thoughts for you. We have some questions. Um, Christopher, maybe I should have read the article before making assumptions, but that abstract, I think, said enough yeah. for me, I agree. That's it for this week's episode. We hope that you enjoyed learning about Bayard Rustin's life and legacy.
1: Feel free to message us if there are any stories or topics you think we should cover next. Or if you're a queer student who wants to feature their work on one of our episodes. And of course, follow us on Ghosts in the Closet podcast on Instagram. We are actually going to post on it this yeah. Semester.
0: We, <laughs> You know, someone hacked us and we lost our password. And that's why we didn't post about any of our last three episodes, which are all really good. Yeah, uh, it's true. You should
1: check out our last three episodes. I, I'll... I'll put up a like what you missed
0: post. Yeah. Oh my god, we're gonna have to do a big what you missed post. Yeah. We're just too busy. Um, social media is rotting the minds of the children. It's true.
1: I thought you were gonna say we're just too (laughs)
0: bitches. (laughs) That as well. Anyway, as always, I am Mary. And I'm
1: Eiley, and we'll see you next time to uncover more ghosts in the closet.